0: Hello, hello. Hello. Now, I've arrived um, <clears throat> in this secret location, let's call it my bolt hole, um, with two fruit drinks because I'm upset. I just got drenched in the street. You know that thing that happens sometimes on American sitcoms where someone's standing on a street corner? Like the end of the Sex and the City. Correct. Yeah. And then just waiting across the road, and then a car goes past and artfully drives through a puddle, so this sort of perfect way of. do, do, do. Exactly. That just happened to me. The whole thing. like, So I was texting you saying, am on my way back now. Where are you? And um, this perfect wave of water Ugh. just slapped me in the face so suddenly and hard. I just went, oh! You had to buy some and then, juice each. Then there were, and there were these people standing around me like, I definitely took the major impact of the splash. But then there were all these people standing little around just <laughs> going, ooh, like, ooh, nasty. And... The thing is that it is not raining. Ew. It's so not wet. So what was in that puddle? Where did that puddle come from? I oh, do not know. Grace. So it's some sort of toilet flushage from up the street oh, or something. great. And I also, after years of like not quite having the right bag that would fit my laptop and all my work stuff, but also the stupid 98 pairs of children's underpants that I also haul around with myself, um, I finally bought this kind of bag. Look at it. Look how beautiful it is. It's oh, green yeah, leather. Nice. Yeah, it fits lovely. everything. Well, it fits yeah. my laptop. And it just got... Totally, let cop. me give it all a
1: Trumpian sniff. <laughs> <laughs> smells okay, I don't think it's sewage from the building down the road. Gross. <laughs> now, the good news is two bits of good news out of that for me yeah. one is that you brought me a juice, yeah, even yeah. though I had nothing to do with the splash, right. and also you having a real life Sex in the City titles experience reminds me that I just watched Sarah Jessica Parker's new show called
0: oh, Absolute Bubble <laughs> entry. It's almost like
1: we planned it, they... <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it's called Divorce.
0: I live to pride you with segues. <laughs> Um, look, I... Are you a Sex and the City fan? Ah, look, I never really went out of my way to watch it. Me either. Um, when I see it, bits of it make me just go, oh. But then, you know, there are some, I think, uh, I think there are some good moments See, I
1: didn't like it when it was first out because... I don't know, there was something in it that just annoyed me and I felt like it was as much a fantasy as Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, so Which didn't... you're a yeah. <laughs> fan. Yeah. So I didn't like it being held up as like, you know, what single women's life is like or whatever. But um, I must say, over the years, now I absolutely love it. And when I see it on telly, it's like I'm bumping into some old friends or something. So And I find it really funny and clever now, hmm. so I don't know, I sort of somehow came full circle.
0: Maybe it was a little defensive before. <laughs>
1: It was weird. Maybe I sort of thought too you much had like, children. I'm not the
0: Miranda
1: character,
0: okay? I'm not her. <laughs> you so are. We be, Kim Juvie. Wow. Do you know, um, when we went to interview <laughs> Julie Bishop for Kitchen Cabinet, this is something that my producer, Madeline and I, laughed about a lot because we we shot the episode in her Canberra flat, which is very tidy and, of course, after the Julia Gillard incident, has the fullest fruit bowl of any, you know, residence that I've ever um walked into and she had everything prepared but um i poked around in her video you know her dvd collection it's only two dvds the entire like collection of sex in the city and like the 10 great speeches of all time so i was just like it's the best sort of yeah anyway but um i was talking about this with madeline who was saying are you going to ask her which one she'd be if it was Sex in the City? If she was on Sex and the City, I'm like, I'm not asking that question. I'm a proper journalist. <laughs> anyway, but there was this moment when we were actually filming where um, I think I just ran out of things to, I just got disappointed over a minute. And so I just said, Oh, I noticed your DVD cabinet. And then I went, So, um,. <laughs> Uh, which one Which one would you be? And she's like, ooh, I don't know. Um, let me see. <laughs> I think she was going to be the kind of like the demure one, actually. I love
1: how if you were more of a fan of Sex and the City, you could have almost told that anecdote Sex and the City voiceover style. Like, yeah. So I got to thinking, which one of the Sex and the City characters <laughs> would the foreign minister be? <laughs> um, so anyway, divorce. I quite like Sarah Jessica Park. She's got a certain charm, yeah. I think, about it. Yeah. Um, and But it's – I guess it's meant to be a comedy, maybe a black comedy. Uh, And I liked the first episode. The second episode just got darker, which was what I feared might happen because I thought, I'm not really sure where you're going to keep finding the laughs in this material because it's pretty sad and heartbreaking. Um, But the guy in it is – I think his name's Thomas Hayden Church. Do you know the film Sideways where they – Yes. He was the – not Paul Giamatti, the other guy. Right. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I think he's great. And so they're a nice sort of ensemble and there's some good foil And what's characters. the story? They, st- it oh, starts the off they're is. getting divorced. The story is sh- they, I won't give you the setup. they're at a party. She just witnesses something and she decides, you know what, life is too short. My marriage is miserable. It's full of little things that anyone who's been married a long time can recognise like Looking at your partner
0: just with sort of passive aggressive dislike down the table at a party or whatever,
1: or it actually I have, the opening can I scene. Let the
0: record show. I have no idea what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> the, opening, the opening shot is she's in the bathroom getting ready, and he says something really passive aggressive to her. And as he walks away, she gives him the finger behind his back, like just those sorts of things that you, like oh, look. I laughed aloud at it. Um, anyway, um, she says, "Life's too short. I just I can't keep going in this relationship." Uh, but then she sort of changes her mind, but then he's sort of wedded to the idea, and so it's just the back and forth of the right, okay. you know, process. So that's how it starts. So, yes, they're getting divorced, they have two teenage children, and it's you know, comedy ensues, <laughs> apparently. Um, but so, did you yeah, like it? I did. I liked it f- enough that I set my Foxtel IQ, and then last week I watched it, but I haven't really been looking forward to this week.
0: So right. ah, okay. yeah, I'm not
1: sure if I'm going to um, actually stick with
0: it. So speaking of going a bit too far, or like you know that thing where you're like, oh, this is funny, this is funny. Oh god, oh, this is too much. of my own life. Oh, this is funny, <laughs> this is funny. Like, oh no, no, it's just depressing. <laughs> so I've been watching the first, the second series of Catastrophe. You know, oh, that yeah, one that, you told me about that. Yeah, yeah. Did you end up watching any of that? I watched one episode. But right, this yeah. is the one where um, these man and lady have casual sex and she gets pregnant and, you know, comedy ensues. Right. Uh, like but it, the funny family. thing about it is is that it's it's really hardcore. Like, they're kind of brutal to each other, but then there's some really, like, they, they also really actually get along and get each other in quite a deep way. So it sort of pings you back and forth. But in the second series, you sort of, it, it, it ends, um, the first series ends with her going to labour. Right. And, um and then the second series starts and there's like a little baby and you're like, oh, this is like two days later. But actually, the second series starts about three or four years later. This is their second child, right? right? And right. so and That's a great
1: idea. So, yeah, it yeah. is. It's
0: really cool because you don't really quite get it at the start and you're like, mm. oh, wow. Mm. okay." So then you've got their families all reflecting on how they never thought it would last and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But they, you know... There's some quite serious stuff going down, too, and they are being, you know, again, quite brutal with each other, but with the added brutality that, you know, an extra three years of familiarity can really, <laughs> can really bring into the mix. So I'm finding myself just going, oh, oh, you can't do that. Can you? Oh, apparently you can. Okay. <laughs> so enjoy it, though. Funny. Um,
1: Hey, uh, you put on a delicious spread on Sunday night. Oh, oh my thank God. you very much. So just listeners, Listen. let me tell you, so... Saturday night, um, I've hatched a plan to go on a play date on Sunday Avo at a mutual friend of ours' place. Um, we decide that we'll hook up some people to go to the pub for dinner because there's a very kid friendly pub um, near our place. It has you know, kid sized studies. Yeah. Joking. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did yeah. there? Um, <laughs> pub is booked out, so Crab goes, oh, I'll just plonk around to Chateau Crab. Um, and so we do, but it turns out that there's like about, I don't know, 25 adults and maybe 30 children there. We just got a little bit
0: overexcited about inviting people.
1: Now I said to my husband on the way home, if that had been me with that many people coming around, I would have needed a month's notice. The week leading up to it, I would have been in tears every single day. (laughs) The day of, I would have just been an inconsolable wreck. And then the next day I would have been the cranky bitch from hell cleaning up. And you seem to just... Pull it off with about five minutes notice flawlessly. And the food was unbelievable.
0: Well, the secret is if you've got two or three really good salads, you can pretty much, you know, stretch the rest of it.
1: Yep. But then you had those prawns in the butter sauce and you had the
0: wagyu well, I'm not, beef sliced up. Well, I'm the... not, they were Jeremy doing that. So, right. like, I don't actually count them as part of the significant preparation or the highlights, all right? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, the meat. I don't know. Apparently, there was meat. Wow, the big you, thing, you though, what was closely. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we both did things that we're good at and, right. you know, are both it's...
1: extremely good, actually. I was having a conversation with someone at the table going, I know Crab gets a lot of the credit for being the good cook in his house, but. Uh, Jeremy is yeah, he's no very good. slouch. He is yeah. very good,
0: and he's a bit kind of like he's a bit um, mission um, exclusive as well. Like, so he'll go, he'll do one thing and just like work it until it's just perfect. So, right. the man can make the greatest roast potatoes. I don't, you didn't oh. get any because the oh, kids, I did. I yeah. was taking them off the right. kids' yeah. plates. Yeah, uh, those kids went through their first like a pack of locusts. There's about like <laughs> half a roast potato left. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, the secret of the great the great roast potato is you cut them into chunks and then you parboil them. That's what I do. Until yeah. they're a bit, yeah, until they're sort of almost, you know, bits of them falling off. Mm. And then you drain them till they're nice and dry. And then you shake a bit of, um, I use semolina flour um, oh, oh, on them. Oh, okay. And that just sort of makes them even drier and oh. also... It basically creates more crumbliness and surface area to soak up the fats that you will need to make a very good roast potato. Well, do you know what I do
1: to do that? Sorry, just at
0: this point mm, of the cooking, not the semolina flour.
1: I get the parboiled potatoes, I put them in a Tupperware dish, and then I shake the SCCK out of it. Also, a great technique.
0: And okay. also um, very good if you're dealing with a uh, celiac or gluten-free person who can't deal with semolina or flour oh, of any yeah, kind. Right, you okay. can also use rice flour and um, right. get a similar res- result. And then just and then duck fat or olive oil salt. Well, pepper. olive oil. But yeah. I mean, you know, duck fat has its um, major fans, obviously. <laughs> uh, not, not so much from the duck community. <laughs> just the more or the cardio there. unit yeah. at Prince of yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, a good thing to do is if you're cooking them in olive oil um, – Preheat the oil till it's smoking oh. hot in the oven, and then you just get a bit of like it just sort of seems to stop things from sticking quite so much because the oil's oh. hot when it goes in there. Nice. And then you just like roast them at a high heat and just keep shaking and moving them um, so that the crunchy bits sort of end up being all over the potato. And now your salads were from Neighbourhood, right? <gasps> right, yeah. So Hattie McKinnon's new cookbook, Neighbourhood, it's the sequel to Community, which I don't think anyone will mind me um, revealing that you've become an obscenely obsessed I have. post-it mar- note marking freak about. <laughs> and now... please. <laughs> so that like bad thing. <laughs> yeah. So um, I made two salads. These were the first things that I've made out of that book, although I've spent quite a bit of time. I've even put some post-it notes in just taking... Oh, oh, wow! Uh, you. Wow! I'm cheering up. So yeah, oh, that's so touching, Dale. So one of them was um, broccoli, zucchini, cannellini bean, radish, mm-hmm. herbs, and then with a dressing that is completely bonkers. You get like a, you know heaps of capers, like about a third of a cup, and rinse them off, and then smash them up in a mortar and pestle with three cloves of garlic. Smash, right. smash, smash, smash. And then you melt some butter in a pan, put in this smashed up mess of capers and garlic and sort of just simmer it like you're basically sort of gently cooking it. And then you add oil because, of course, there's not enough saturated fats Mm. going on in there already. And then zest and juice of one lemon. And it becomes like this. So it's like a a banya cauda, that kind of um, fabulous dish where you've got this sort of buttery, capery sauce, lemony sauce, and then you just dip Sort of crouton and stuff into it, but this is turned into a salad dressing, and Yum. and you char grill the broccoli and the zucchini, so you've got this smoky, salty char grilled broccoli
1: is good, don't you reckon? So
0: great, yeah. Um,
1: I would never have thought of char grilling it, cause I would have thought it was maybe a bit thick.
0: Yeah, but actually, yeah, it gives you such a lovely mm. result. Um Jeremy makes a really good salad that is um, that is raw broccoli. And oh. I just think, oh, they're a bit yeah. sticky, not quite right for raw, but actually, so you just break it up into reasonably small florets and you dress it with yogurt, lemon juice, um, and then you have um, some raisins and some thinly sliced red onion and some toasted almond slivers. Mm. <gasps> so good.
1: Do you know what I particularly enjoyed Sunday night at your place? <laughs> the fact that my two-year-old, who calls you Annabelle Crab, yes. now when he goes, mam, ma'am, ma'am, and I ignore it long enough, he goes, Annabelle Crab, Annabelle Crab. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I didn't love that, you kid. notice that? I love That's
0: him. why he was running around getting yogurts off you and yeah. ice creams. And okay, I gave him a lot of yogurts. <laughs> like, if you can take the trouble to pronounce my entire name, you can have as many yogurts as you want, kid. I love how I also then at one point... Um, Jeremy had gone and got some of those like little ice creams, you know, like oh, those yeah. little cones with them. Yeah, yeah I like And uh, I gave them to James, your you know, tiny child, to, to distribute to the other children. Oh, like
1: he was ever sharing them.
0: Well, I think some of them got out there okay. anyway. I'm good. Yeah, and then he came back for one and said, um, "Annabelle Crab," and I said, <laughs> "Yep." And he says, "I've run out of ice creams." So like, well, that was the plan. And he's like, "There's another box. I saw them. <laughs> there was as well, like at the top of my freezer." And he's like. But I can't reach them. So from that, I deduced that he had not only, you know, computed where the rest of the ice creams were, but he had made a solo attempt to recover them unaided. Oh, my God.
1: I kept spying him stealing a lot of, you know, he was eating just crazy amounts of food that night but and
0: everything as well so every, every adult there is just going who's that kid eating the you know salad <laughs> yeah I
1: know, it was just bizarre we went to a um, friend's uh, kid's fifth birthday party my friend melanie and she did this really cool thing where when the cake got cut they had a time-lapse camera and so they had they had like a minute of kids coming and getting cakes Oh yeah. and my four-year-old he really likes flakes and it was this she did an incredible job of it, it was a jungle cake mm. so it was green and jungly on the outside and the flakes were like logs and Stuff. Mm. and then when you cut it it was um three layers of sponge a brown one a green one and a um, yellow one it was wow. phenomenal and it was the most delicious cake too um anyway um the time-lapse camera so i could see how many times the four-year-old went up to the cake and stole flake off it as <laughs> people were distracted it must have been about eight <laughs> times just oh, kept man. popping up
0: <laughs> that's just dirty pool isn't oh. it anyway it's very funny what four-year-old thinks that's gonna happen to them thanks mum <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly,
0: that's all right. Um, hey, I did a bit of
1: experimenting with a recipe out of
0: your cookbook. Did you yes, love Yes, I them.
1: did. Um, nice. So you know you've got a recipe, it's spiced cherry eaten mess.
0: Oh, yeah, that was made for Julie Bishop at the place. Was it really? The other day where I, shamefacedly another, after. Another segue. Which, another another, segue. another so segue. segue. So like, no, 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 we've just got like neck damage from too yeah, many exactly. snapbacks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. So you've got spiced cherry eating mess and I've got a recipe um, that a friend of mine made up like maybe 20 years ago, which is a sort of like a tiramisu, but instead of coffee, it's tinned berries and you dip the sponge finger biscuits in berry juice instead of in coffee. Yeah, it's really good. Anyway, so I sort of combined your part of your recipe with part of that recipe. So... You've got a section where you drain the pitted tins of yep, the cherries yep. and you reserve the juice. Yep. And so then you put that on the stove with um, star anise, cinnamon, yep. a bit of orange peel, a bit of lemon yep. juice, yep. Um, a bit of sugar. can't remember what else. A little bit of sugar, yeah. yeah. Vanilla. Vanilla. Um, vanilla beans. Um, and so you sort of give that a bit of a till till it infuses yep. a bit. So then I dipped the sponge biscuits in that Ooh. and then I, for the sort of Layer of creaminess between mm-hmm. the soaked sponge biscuits, I used um, cream cheese and beaten egg whites and some sugar. Oh,
0: right. and Hang then, on a second. So you beat the egg whites and then you beat the cream cheese? You beat,
1: so you just soften up the cream cheese. Yeah. Beat up the egg whites till they get a bit peaky. Yeah. Not too, they don't have to be like meringue. Whack mm-hmm. like a bit of sugar in there as well. Combine it with the softened, you know, room temperature cream cheese.
0: And do you have to fold that in or like Fold this? it,
1: yeah, because otherwise it gets a bit lumpy, so yeah, you just right. need to give it a good gentle zhuzh and have it at room temperature. And then layer of that and then huh. some more sponge biscuits. Could you use mascarpone? Yeah, I thought about that because that's what's in your recipe. Mm. Um, but just because I like the taste of cream cheese, yeah. I like the cream cheese. And then on top of it, toasted flake diamonds mm. and crumbled up flake.
0: And, <laughs> oh, which and is all actual, gone by the time. Oh, the actual, oh, I forgot that. to
1: say the actual cherries get folded through the cream cheese mixture as oh, well. Nice. So, yeah. Wow, that sounds delicious. Yeah, it
0: was quite tasty. Thanks for actually. bringing me a bit of leftovers. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought about it. Did you? And then I just for how it? long? And then I ate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, apropos of nothing, I um, ran into Fran Kelly this morning. Oh yeah. And she was like bustling along through the uh, um, uh, main, you know, uh, atrium of the ABC, and she said, "Oh, Annabelle, great, great." been trying to get in touch with Lee but you'll do that happens to me a lot yeah yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway she said so anyway um Lee's coming on on the party room you know their podcast um that her and she and Patricia Carvelis do (laughs) I said oh oh, great great and she said so anyway um I just want to know um I'm gonna ask her to sing because I sing at the end of the podcast and um and I just thought, what sort of things would she like to sing, do you think? And it was like the greatest, most golden opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I said, well, look, she's hardly ever allowed to sing on our podcast. (laughs) no. So Franny must have then,
1: she probably rang me five minutes after that, must have reminded her, because she was in her car, so you must have seen her as she was leaving. So she's rang me, and she started, and I'd already decided, a few people had said to me, you're going to sing with Fran on the podcast. I just thought, no, I'm too busy. I can't have time to think about it. I just need to quickly knock it over and not. So I felt terrible because I felt like I broke little Fran's heart. Because oh,
0: so you've mixed it. I said, no, it. yeah. I oh. said, no. She
1: said, what do you want to sing? And I said, I just, I can't, Fran. I'm only doing it because I love Fran so much. I've got so much on him this week. Um, anyway, so I I
0: just felt um, bad. Oh, <laughs>
1: no. that, and so now that I hear that you had that
0: conversation. Well, no, scared. I've sort of thought about going, oh, well, oh I don't know, you know, um, Fran. What does she love? Oh, beer. Um. <laughs> Mongolian throat She loves it, <laughs> <Nuzzled>, definitely. <laughs> it just was like such a wide-open goal for just such epic cruelty on my part with such little effort, you know. I was just... You should have also said, you know what sales loves? A surprise sprung on it. <laughs> <laughs> See, you should be writing my material, really. Yeah, exactly. But uh, um, anyway, so there you go. You've, you're going to make through make it through unmolested.
1: Hey, um, we were both in... Oh, the reason, sorry, if anyone's wondering, how come the, these two uh, bags were banging on about the first two American presidential debates, and they was said a single thing, was because we both happened to be travelling at exactly the same time as the debate was on. We
0: crossed in the air. Crossed
1: in the air, you coming home from Melbourne and me going to Melbourne yep. for the day. Um, so we sort of only caught snippets of it, so not much to talk about. But what we do have to talk about is what we did in Melbourne.
0: Oh, yeah, so I um, i sent you an email saying, oh, God, I can't wait to tell you about the morning that I've had. So I went um, to moderate a breakfast at the family law conference. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and it was... Women in law. You know, like you get invited to these things that are like women in X, women in Y. Anyway, I was sort of nearly a woman in law because I do have a law degree, so I thought, all right. And the panel was um, the outgoing um, Chief Justice of the Family Court, a woman called Diana Bryant, who's fabulous, Mm. so interesting and clever, and you know. And um, uh, Marilyn Warren, who is the um, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court in. uh, in Victoria, and um, the new federal sex discrimination discriminator. Uh, d- discriminator, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> sort of the opposite. Of that, the discriminator. The, not that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, what do you do? For okay. t- I'm the discriminator. I'm the discriminator-in-chief. Yeah, thanks very much. So, yeah. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. Anyway, so it was a really great session, but the best thing about this, this function was that at the table where we were sitting for five minutes before the, you know, uh event started at, you know, 7.15. What is it about, like, women in things? They're always freaking breakfast. It's just like, <laughs> wow, woman, women in anything are just like, really? I've got to be there by 7? Yeah. <laughs> That's not practical. Um, but anyway, um, everybody was there looking very happy. But there were these three elderly ladies. And I sort of, I couldn't keep my eyes off them. They were at our table, like sort of head table, I suppose, where all the speakers were. And they were kind of like eating their birch and muesli and just kind of cackling among themselves. And they were just having such a lovely time in each other's company. But I was thinking, like, who are you? Because every now and again, like, someone would come up to them and it was obvious that they were quite sort of distinguished, but I didn't really recognise them. Anyway, it turns out that they were the the um, three judges of the family court from when it was first established mm. in 1976, right? So they had the founding chief justice, um, Elizabeth Evatt, Um who set up the family court, and these two colleagues of hers were wow. um, called Peg Lusink, who was 94, and um, Josephine Maxwell. And they were such interesting women. They were, like, all really still kind of super sharp right. and with these incredible recollections about what it was like to set up a new jurisdiction, oh, like, in fantastic. 1976. So it's just sort of... and. Um, Peg was saying, she got the call from the Attorney-General, you know, saying well, we're going to make you a judge. She thought it was one of her mates winding her up, so she's like, oh, sure you are. <laughs> anyway, but they they just, I really didn't get to talk to them for that long, but um, they were talking about... Um, setting up this new court and they were determined that it wouldn't be um very formal that it would be a really human kind of um experience for people to have and so they, their first courtroom wasn't really a courtroom at all it's just like this room and no one could ever work out who was the judge and who was the so it kind of got a bit formal again um after that but it was just made me just think about these incredible women and mm. the stuff that they just built out of nothing mm. yeah.
1: um that is and also the fact that that's quite recent history I I also find amazing 40 years that's it
0: 40 years ago incredible um
1: I did a couple of interesting. I also um, was on a, a MC to panel at that conference, which was like, I thought really interesting too about whether the family law um, court is time for reform. But um, in my free time in Melbourne, I did a couple of interesting things. One was I went to see there's an exhibition at the National Gallery of Victoria called Victor and Rolf. Oh,
0: um, you a are
1: such of, a savra fashion related oh, anything, aren't you? I totally love it. Um, went to have a sticky beak. It was funny because I was thinking how much I'm into that stuff and love it, and how little I can be bothered on myself. <laughs> <laughs> like. I love looking at it, but I got no interest in actually applying it. Um, it was actually I didn't enjoy it as much as when we saw Isabella Blow because it wasn't the work's not quite as beautiful. It's more sort of avant garde, yeah, and yeah, sort of a bit bit out
0: there. Such a great um, name for a label though, Victor and Rolf. Oh, fantastic, <laughs> just, isn't it? Like, I always think about like how many potentially great um, fashion partnerships just never got off the ground because they're like. Mudflap and nerf or something like this. I'm sorry, mudflap and nerp. No, it's just not gonna fly. I don't care how brilliant your ideas are. Mudflap, out of here. Exactly. We By the talking... way, nerp is spelled K N E R P in my brain, just in case ah. you're interested. Mudflap and nerp.
1: Yeah, that's K N E R P. Yeah, fantastic. Somehow, yeah. yeah. it just makes it so much better. Yeah. Yep, I think so. Um, That's probably why you're a writer, because, see, that written down, if you hadn't said that, some of the joke would have been lost, but written down, you would have got that full, you Spelling know. Spelling is I
0: mean? important. It is. Some yeah. spellings are funnier than others.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. like we were, you and I, interacting with somebody yesterday whose surname was Magic. M I G A G. M A G. M A G.
0: Jesus, wow. <laughs> Australia's premier current affairs journalist, ladies and gentlemen. M-A-G-I-C-K. M-A-G-I-C-K, yes. Her wonder last name is Magic. But wonder if it's pronounced magic. I think you might be putting the emphasis <laughs> on the wrong syllable <laughs> no, there. Maybe she doesn't want to
1: be known as, I won't say her first name, but you know, let's call her um, Abigail. Abigail Magic.
0: Yeah, but her real first name just flows so much better than Abigail. It's like, you know. Oh, I think Abigail goes well with magic. Okay, all right. Well, you go off and have a baby with her. I see what happens. Um, but yeah, I did. It's such a fabulous name. It is. Yeah. Maybe that's because I've always been a crab. So I just sort of I'm in the gutter, but I'm thinking about the stars.
1: Uh, I also, after Victor and Rolf, I was in a fashion-y sort of mood, so I downloaded on my iPad the first Monday in May, which is the doco about the Met Ball in New York. Oh, oh. Yeah, um, and it was filmed for the year that the exi- there was an exhibition opening called China Through the Looking Glass. Right. Um, and it was about the how that exhibition was pulled together as well as the Met Ball and all the, well the... Like, Anna Winter was in it, who I love, mm. and just how they do the seating plans. And, oh, my God, we can't put Beyoncé next to so-and-so. And, you know, oh, what's-her-name's rung up? Rihanna, and she needs to have XYZ people, and we don't have the budget
0: for that. And so, yeah, loved it. Um, not as good Did as you like Anna Winter in um, Zoolander 2? Oh, yep. Yeah, she was I love her in everything. She's just uh, I great. i really sorry for her in Zoolander 2. Really? I felt sorry, sorry for all of those celebrity all the cameo really? things. Really? Because it just wasn't very funny, that scene where they all were. No. And I could think, like, because Zoolander 1 was so funny and, you know, you could imagine all these people sort of piling in. and yeah. Oh, God, we are all going to be in the sequel. And <laughs> yeah. then they're mounting horror as they discover just it's how crap, that crap it is. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um,
1: no, that was um, – that doco was – I enjoyed it because the frocks and everything's just – Awesome, but yeah. um, it wasn't probably as good as some of those other fashion. Oh, like the September issue. Yeah, I loved that. that was song. great. That was because Grace Coddington was such incredible yeah. talent. Yeah. Whereas Anna Winter is, I mean, she's a very unique character, but you don't like her. You're just mm. fascinated by her. Whereas Grace Coddington, like I just loved her. Mm. I thought she was fantastic. So, um, now we better think about wrapping it up. But have you got any other quick whip around type things?
0: Well. Um... You've been reading Clementine Ford's book, Fight Like a Girl. Yeah. And, um, look, I just picked it up and I actually bought it at my local bookshop and and the guy said, oh, my God, this is flying off the shelves. Mm. And, you know, I've heard people who read it saying, oh, my God, it just makes me want to kind of punch the air. Wow. And um, so I'm about halfway through it Mm. and there are certainly parts of the book where like she's so like she's she's so furious, you know. And so the way that she tells um, her stories are so fired by this kind of sort of outrage-driven um, cogency, I suppose. Which is quite, you know. I really love reading and seeing women in that flight mode, you mm. know, where they're just like right. <laughs> and I think that like that is always one of the great parts of that. Speech of Julia Gillard's because she kind of like I think had been just rolling her eyes about all of those comments and all of that behaviour right to the point where it all just kind of like absolutely spilled out of her and it was so was so cooked by that stage that it was perfectly formed you know like the the absolute cold cogency of her language in that speech is is one of the most impressive things about it because she didn't have you know a note in front of it right. and so um, the bits about Clementine Ford's book that I like the most are, you know, there's some very kind of cogent ranty bits. I mean, it's, 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 it's a rant, like it's not a sort of researched, here right. is, you know, 90% of women in Iceland do this right. or whatever. Like, And at some parts, I feel like I could use a bit more of that. Um, because if you're pitching a whole book that's a rant, it's got to be like you've got to work pretty hard to mm. um, contain the interest. Yeah. Um, but I actually think that um, the, my favourite parts of the book so far is when she just writes about what it feels like to be a teenage girl. Like, I've just, it's really good. Um, she writes about, you know, her body and what she felt like in her body being, as she says, you know, too tall and, you know, um, not feeling like, she was sort of connected to the earth. She was in this sort of strange body that she didn't really love or feel comfortable mm. in. And anyway, like it's just, it's really intelligent and very um, frank. But also just, it just captures something about adolescence that's um, really fascinating. She does it beautifully. And, and like that's, to this date and point in the book, book I think, you know, that's the bit that I found myself most absorbed in.
1: And what What did you say? You're right, about halfway through.
0: Yeah, about halfway through. Yeah. Okay.
1: I'm about halfway through Bruce Springsteen's memoir, Born oh, to Run. That'd be pretty similar, I guess. <laughs> Just, uh, <laughs> also, an incredible <laughs> reflection on being a teenager. girl. <laughs> no, um, look, I'm not. I'm not a Bruce Springsteen fan. The oh, only reason I should t- mouth <laughs> out.
0: Get out. Really? This office. Are yeah. you? Yeah. Wow. Massive. One of the most exciting moments of the 2008 election campaign that I was. In attendance at Bits of um, in the U.S. was uh, I went to see a campaign event that was Obama and Springsteen. And it was in the sort of like this sort of mall in Cleveland at sunset. Mm. And anyway, I rang Jeremy, I'm like, so anyway, I'm just, um, I'm in <laughs> Cleveland. I'm doing a, like a one woman drive across the Midwest, and you know, and um, oh, yeah. Uh, and anyway, Bruce Springsteen's is just coming on stage. So oh. I'm gonna go and he's just like, it was the moment I think at which he probably must I think when him. he
1: hung up, he probably just gave the finger at the phone. Yeah, I think, no.
0: he did. I think it would be one of those moments. But <laughs> Springsteen, oh,
1: so interesting. Um, look. I picked it up because I, you know, pretty much the only songs I could sing would be Born in the USA and Born to Run. Uh, I read that it was a really good piece of writing, and I know that he is a good r- lyricist, so I thought, okay, I'll have a look at this. It is, ex- I mean, if you're a Springsteen fan, you'd be just lapping it up. Um, he has got a really unique voice, and he's making me, I can really visualise this where he's grown up in sort of you yep. know Jersey and that whole vibe and he also he just loves music so much and so that makes me like him because he's just so you know um so into music and talks about music really well too and just has so much love and he just seems like a really nice bloke
0: yeah he's I think he's fascinating and he's kind of this misunderstood figure in a way because um you know he was he's being sort of co-opted for um uh Repu- Republican campaign. Yeah, because people played
1: Born in the USA. Right, yeah. and
0: of course, Born in the USA is like a much darker kind of, um, if you read yeah. the lyrics, it's not really about, you know. It's not being
1: about, it's, y- y- um, you know, what, what's those Marines say? Whoa, whatever yeah.
0: they say. What, what's that yes. Marine thing? USA, whoah. <laughs> no, <narrow> down. <laughs>
1: USA, USA, you know, all that sort of.
0: Okay. What was your childhood like, Lee? <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know that sort of rah 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 America stuff. That's not what that's on no, about. No,
0: not at all. And he's this kind of look. I read this absolutely fascinating profile of him in the New Yorker, and I've just I've just googled it, and it's um, it's called um, Bruce Springsteen at sixty two. Oh, yeah, by David Remnick. And now I actually now that I I mean I can't remember exactly what made me like love that profile so much, but it was a bit about. Um, About his relationship to wealth and success, and um, because he didn't sort of grow up with much. No, not at all. And and it's just, it was just like so reflective and interesting, and made me just think he was such an interesting guy. So, I um, should give
1: you this book. You probably enjoy it more than me if you're a fan. But it is definitely a well written celebrity memoir, and. I'm just trying to think if there's been anything sort of unflattering. There's nothing hugely unflattering, but it's revealing. Like, you know, you and I always talk about it's got to be revealing. It feels like it's revealing. So um, that's a good one. Just one other quick thing before we go that I watched and really liked. I watched a documentary called Hero Dreams of Sushi. Which is about. Why have I heard of that? Well, it's a guy in Japan, he's in his 80s, his name's Hiro. Um, He runs a sushi restaurant, it's Mm. the only, like, he's the only three hatted Michelin chef in um, Japan or something. It's in a subway, it only seats 10 people. It's like really, looks about as low rent as this office. No offense, love.
0: Yeah. (laughs) If there was more raw fish around, it might perk things up. Yeah, that's right.
1: Um, And he has just dedicated his whole life to making the perfect sushi. like, it's very Japanese where. It's just a really small thing done to absolute perfection. But I must say, watching the whole thing, I kept thinking, I'm just desperate to go there and eat that sushi because I kept looking at it thinking it was just the same shot over and over again, which is patting the rice into a little sort of wedge, mm-hmm. chucking the fish on top, brushing it with a sauce, dishing it out.
0: And I would think, well, how delicious can that be? Like, Right, yeah. So, So it's not some sort of, you know... Fancy balls of sea urchins. Nah, well, oh, there like was, it. was some stuff like
1: that, but it's all in the quality of the... A lot of it mm. looks sort of recognisable to me as sushi, mm. but um, it was all in, the, all in the quality of the rice. And so in the doco, they interview the dude who's the rice dude, and Hero, the sushi dude, is going... There's nobody on the planet who knows more about rice than this guy. And they can have this. Imagine these... being
0: that person who's just there.
1: Incredible. Um, um, and then there was the guy who was the tuna guy who would go. And he was, and they were all, all these people that Hero had as his suppliers were all like equally as freakishly I only dedicated. work for Hero. I yeah. And, uh, and the tuna dude was like, they're at the um, docks in the morning and all the big tunas are being laid out on the. Ground, the tuna guy's going around with the torch. He's just some of them, he just would look at the flesh and walk away. Some of them, they'd cut off a bit of the tail and he'd rub it between his fingers and look at it with the torch. Anyway, his, his attitude was, um, There is only one tuna here that is the best. That is the one that I take for hero. And so it was actually just the most remarkable. The dude, hero's son, who was in his 50s, <laughs> shot of him, he was smoking the
0: seaweed. Uh, you know, the I'd be smoking seaweed if that was that guy's <laughs> son as well. I'd be like, What? I'm not perfect, Dad. Well, go on, we'll get used to it. So the guy who's got a restaurant for 10 and only is interested in one tuna in the entire world, I don't want to be that guy's son. It was just, like, yeah. I got nine was... out of 10 on my math test.
1: Yeah, completely. Well, that was sort of the vibe. So the son, oh the eldest son who had to take over the restaurant, I mean, Dad's never retiring until he drops dead. So the 50-year-old son, who clearly, he's done... And he's been in his apprenticeship for 30 years. He's still out the back over the smoker doing the seaweed. Yeah. Although by the end of it, they said the father had now entrusted that son to go to the markets and do various things. But
0: With Torchman, or he
1: is the new Torchman? No, Torchman's his own dude. He runs right, his own okay. business getting okay. one tube. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just feel like. It was quite. It's not an economies of scale operation, is it? It was a bit. No, absolutely not. It was a very.
1: Uh, I thought it actually didn't quite stretch to make an entire doco. I thought, yeah, I thought been... that after
0: the first minute that you've been <laughs> yeah. talking about I'm like, whoa, yeah. tell me more about that rice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Show me another solid piece
1: of fish being thrown under a piece of rice. This
0: is sushi, oh. but exactly as you've seen it before. Yeah, that is exactly what it was like. I <laughs> the thing like... that makes this remarkable is the only sense that you really can't get any sense of through a screen. So, <laughs> yeah. It's just... Exactly, exactly.
1: Um, so, yeah, it was sort of equal parts puzzling and fascinating. It felt like it would have been a good 7.30 story, but it was... Bit... Oh,
0: great. you are got to give it six and a half minutes. Right,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's about what it was worth. But uh, nonetheless, I mean, I just felt sorry for the dude's sons. One of them had gone and opened his own other restaurant. Yeah,
0: but... Burgers. <laughs> I'm out of fish, man.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, it was... Hero, I mean, man, what a unique... Character he was, but it did—it certainly did make me want to try the sushi, just because I couldn't believe. But you know, as my husband said to me, your palate probably wouldn't be good enough to (laughs) to tell the difference between a ten-dollar piece of sushi and a three hundred-dollar piece of sushi. So then, gives
0: him the (laughs) finger behind his (laughs) back.
1: No, because it was true. In that instance, it was actually true. So there was no fingers required. No. It was, but I think there's there's truth in that because I'd probably eat that and go, oh, that was delicious sushi. But I yeah. wouldn't be able to go, oh, it was the crafting yeah. of the, you know, that, it was the, it was the glancing torchlight across the ass know. of the tuna that made all the difference. <laughs> I don't know.
0: The glancing torchlight across the ass of the tuna. Do you guys got... like a good app title to me? <laughs> <laughs> Is that how you do your tuna at home? Oh, just the ass. Remains, you know, no, it's the sort of thing that, that was the sort of thing that
1: Hero did do, yeah. though. Like, because it, it was that was the level of <laughs> they had octopus that they used to sort of they mushed up the octopus to make it really soft. Mm. They used to do that for half an hour, but now they do it for 50 minutes. So, some poor apprentice is in there doing it like he's hand wringing washing to get the oh. octopus to the
0: right consistency. Oh. Well, wow, that's an entry level job, isn't it? And
1: so, like, half an hour's not enough on that sucker. Yeah. <laughs> Give us another 20 octopus minutes.
0: Octopus tenderizer to Hero. So. <laughs> Wow. Okay. I think Weirdly we enough, watch it. having having yeah. now been a jerk about that film, I know that I would actually quite like to watch it.
1: Do you know what I think now as I walk out of your office? I'm going to have to walk out you back even first. never left yet, but now you. <laughs> no, I'm going to have to walk out back first because I'm worried now about you giving me the finger behind my back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what do you think of that, Frosted Glass? Have you before? ever done that to me? I. I... I do not consent to. You have, haven't I do not you? <laughs> consent to... Now, let me just, before you go, yeah. just, you really are nearly out the door, you yeah, monster. Yeah, show you a host. So I get this so card. Oh, yes. That <laughs> looks like card. it's from a listener. It's because it's got a giant big <laughs> blue red thunder, on the front. Yeah. This is a card from Maria, who says, I'm an avid Chap 10 Looks 3 listener. and regularly tune in whilst I'm driving from Mindsight to Mindsight in the Pilbara. Oh. Your podcast makes an otherwise... Soul Journey, Most Entertaining. We should oh. give her that, um, we should send her a copy of Heroes. What's, what's the present that's in there that you weren't about to show it's me? A, uh, it's a, <laughs> oh. a Blue Wren bookmark. Oh, need keep that
1: it's beautiful. I didn't I that. like how she didn't put two in because she knew I would have chucked it.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I,
1: sat, I was at a lunch the other day and I sat next to a CEO of an international business. He would have been in his mid-60s and he was a fan of the podcast. I, I'm sure my face really? betrayed my... Surprise, because he was so far out of our demographic, so... Oh, I don't know. Hello, older gentlemen, <laughs> CEOs who are listening.
0: Great to have you along. But it won't be at all awkward next time you're running to him again. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway. Are you actually going to retreat out of the door on that roller chair? Don't you reckon that would be a cool exit? If I wasn't tethered to this thing by a microphone, yeah, I'd probably point. think about it. still tied together, love. I, as Even as he
1: said that, do you know what I heard? I heard the start of... Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do you know, from um, Risky Business. Oh,
0: really? Yeah, like I
1: feel a bit Tom Cruise, like I need to just go whoosh out the door.
0: Okay. (laughs) Another one for a visual medium, possibly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That gag? (laughs) Just take those.